To express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Ethics is knowing the difference between what you have a right to do and what is right to do. Potter Stewart. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits for today's show. For today's show, Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported Be The Star You Are over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. That's www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself whenever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Hannah, co-hosting this show today with Kirthi. Today's show is all about ethics, and we're going to specifically discuss how ethics have shaped modern society and how ethics have helped the world become what it is in present day. We're also going to talk about how ethics has played a role in history and how ethical and moral beliefs have changed and developed over time. In segment one, I will be talking about the uh, morals and ethics related to the medical field. In segment two, I will be having a discussion with Kirthi And in segment three, I will be talking about the role that ethics play in traditional debate styles, such as Public Forum and Lincoln Douglas. And Kirti will explain how you can use ethics to win a debate. Right now, I will talk about ethics and research. Hello, everyone. My name is Hannah Sahota, and I'm the host of today's show. And this is my segment, Empowerment and Equality, where we talk about everything and anything in the world of activism, academia, and our society's current state of affairs. Ethics is a Greek word derived from the word ethos, defining a person's character and credibility, defined as moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conduct of an activity, or the branch of knowledge that deals with moral principles. Ethics has been a hot, controversial topic in the realms of academia, but recently, particularly in science and research. Today, I will be reflecting and sharing my own personal research and providing some writings for my proposal and having a conversation on you on the prevalent topics of gene editing, animal testing, and ethics in lab environments and its subsequent effects on how research and morals are conducted in the future. Let's start with animal testing. I have formulated research and 
am currently processing a research proposal examining the extensive liver damage caused by the presence of toxic ingredients in weight loss supplements. Thinspos were extremely popular at the time, which was essentially a internet trend where models such as those of Victoria's Secret and those that were very, very skinny were popularized as thinspos, known as thin inspirations, which when I was transitioning from middle to high school was very, very popular at the time. And so this resulted in many of my peers, mainly young women, taking this advertised quote-unquote cure-all herbal supplements to lose weight, and they experienced a concerning number of side effects. And through my research, I aim to prove whether or not, number one, how do two prevalent ingredients in weight loss supplements, Garcinia cambogia and green tea extract, contribute to liver damage? And number two, what is the hepatoxicity of Garcinia cambogia and green tea extract, and how do different dosages affect the liver exactly? Many weight loss supplements abuse ethical loopholes to distribute without officially being marked as safe by the FDC, often targeted towards young women in, f- in an attempt to profit off the various insecurities and standards, especially beauty standards, cultivated by the cosmetic, model, and overall beauty industry worldwide. Brands such as Hydrocut and Herbalife are two prime examples utilizing the ingredients in which I was investigating. After extensive searching, I found that weight loss supplements did, in fact, slim down fat, but at the expense of anatomical function. I'll quickly summarize my findings because I think you guys as the audience will find this fascinating. Uh, For number one, green tea extract, also known as Camilla sinensis, also contributes to acute liver injury through various means allergic reactions, product contamination during consumption, and metabolic idiosyncrasy. Many patient findings, as many have predominantly cholestatic in injury patterns and acute hepatitis patterns caused by drugs containing C-synesis. And this is a reoccurring theme. And green tea extract contains many polyphenols, such as catechins and flavanols, that cause toxicity in the mitochondria cellular membrane and can result in its deterioration while simultaneously causing oxidative species to form. Amongst all of this medical jargon, which many may not understand, here's a quick summary. The polyphenols, which is a set of chemical compounds found in many plant foods, leads to the decay and essentially deterioration and necrosis of the liver, amplified in those who were fasting during use. And unfortunately, anorexia and a lack of food and diet pills go hand in hand. And the effects investigated in various other scientific investigations, notes, and experiences noted that this was a prevalent theme. Regarding Garcinia cambogia, various experience experience on the effects of the substance for the human body showed that this ingredient did reduce abdominal fat accumulation in their test subjects suffering from obesity or high BMI. This ingredient contains the ingredient hydrocitric acid and actually does reduce fat by inhibiting carbohydrates conversion to fat in the body. But there's a catch. Quite literally, Garcinia cambogia kills you slowly to reduce fat, having an effect similar to that of a heavy alcoholic with prolonged 
used to booze or extremely, extremely strong whiskey or liquor. So evidently, these two ingredients mixed into one pill could result in disastrous effects for a select group of people, one already being too many. Now comes the ethics part regarding animal testing and gene testing, which a few individuals both inside and outside of the scientific community may disapprove of. In my experimentation, I proposed a plan with two potential methods, one called ultra-performance liquid chromatography, which can be abbreviated to UPLC, with quadruple time-of-flight mass spectrometry, which can also be advertised as QTOF-MS. So it's called UPLC QTOF-MS, quite a long abbreviation, which was essentially using mass spectroscopy spectroscopy to analyze the ions of each substance and product and determine the toxicity of the substance through analyte separation at the molecular level for increased accuracy. This combination of spectrometry and QTOFMS platforms and medical instruments has been widely accepted and used in the science community for determining the toxicity of specific substances of supplements, not only applied to weight loss, it could also be with um, antibiotics, opioids, anything that has an effect on the cellular tissue, UPLC combined with QTOFMS, in short, can give us one of the most accurate readings, if conducted correctly, of course. And the second method was called, notably in the science community, you have to say it's dose escalation on subjects. And in this case, my subjects were rats, lab rats, tested and raised to ensure no outside variables. They're raised in the lab, fed in the lab, not exposed to any extraneous factors in order to produce the most accurate results. And in order to see the substances and the effects on the liver of these animals after being injected with the substances Garcinia cambogia and C. sinensis, they would be separated into four groups. And this method is actually really, really common in not only science and lab work, but also statistics. Whenever you look at a magazine and you see a poll or you see maybe a survey on a nearby flyer or someone's asking you for a short interview to collect data, everything is separated into groups. You are either a convenience sample, a random sample, or a control group. But in science terms, it may be worded a little bit differently, so I will specify that. Each one was four groups. Their one of them was known as a control group, which is essentially a group injected with only Garcinia cambogia, and a group injected with only C synthesis, and a group injected with both substances. My control group were normal rats in order to provide a baseline to compare the others to. And obviously, two different groups, one with Garcinia cambogia and C. sinensis, would make it easier to differentiate the two effects, and a group injected with both substances would simulate a real-life simulation on how it could affect a potentially fatal human, depending on whether their factors such as health and environment plays a role. Each group would have three smaller, separate groups that would be injected with different dosages. After each rat is injected, they will be observed for a prolonged period of time, 
uh, four month intervals in a period of two years, which is enough to accurately identify results similar to humans. And these periods of time would are in four month intervals over the course of two whole years. During this course, each rat will have their blood, urine, and fur samples collected for future reference and analysis. Afterwards, these rats will be sliced open and a liver biopsy, which was pretty standard at the time, will be performed on them. Less fancy than the first one, but effective nonetheless. Now here comes the question in animal testing and the use of this technology in observing our cells on the molecular level. Obviously, these limitations would entail the accuracy of the methods provided above. The QTOF-MS is essentially known for its precision and accuracy recently developed, but disproportionate sample sizes in accordance to its ion concentration can actually cause inaccurate data if not conducted specifically and accurately. Essentially, if I have too much on my plate, it won't be able to analyze, but if I have too little, the same effect will be there. So it has to be essentially catered perfectly. Well, not perfect, but near perfect. And for the dose escalation of subjects, there are also a few limitations that extend to most animal testing such as subject factors, human error, and accuracy of the liver biopsy. In every experiments conducting supplements and body, it is important to note that the different factors of the subject, such as BMI, hormones, and behavioral factors, do play a factor in liver injury regarding hepatoxicity. Thus, in, in real life, it will be difficult to make sure that the rats are in the same condition and are all in a similar environment to ensure accurate, consistent data to reflect human life. In addition, human error can also be a limitation regarding the liver biopsy and the conduction of these delicate technology, as it could be difficult to determine how much toxicity is in a specific individual with precision. However, many scientists take extreme care, as long as I as well as I, to ensure that the data is collected with as much precision as possible during this experiment. Now, this whole experiment and research process that I have talked to you is an example of low-level animal testing and probing, of which these subjects are necessary to determine whether or not these organs decay. Evidently, none of these substances are safe for human consumption. So as an aspiring scientist and women's health researcher, I personally believe that this form of animal testing is beneficial and relatively humane in contrast to other methods. Although some may believe that animals should never be tested on in any situation, medicinal properties and chemical compounds are too risky to be left chance. However, there are many exceptions to this rule, uh, regarding extraneous factors such as cosmetics or makeup, there are very viable ways to test it without testing it cruelly or inhumanely on animals. Animal testing and going completely vegan are viable options for those that are not regarding medicine or antibiotics or an extremely hazardous substance for people. And this can be related to actually genome editing. Recently, the scientific community I found in recent years has 
unfortunately began to take a bit of a dark turn, disregarding the moral humanity of us as people rather than test subjects. Methods such as CRISPR and genome editing, utilizing the gene Cas9, which is a specific gene in our DNA that identifies our traits, and this flips and binds RNA and DNA to different at specific molecular points in this genome. These methods can be used at, for wondrous things at a lower cost to solve things such as cancer, high cholesterol, hepatitis B, and potentially even sickle cell disease. And Christopher, for all of my um, audience who may not know what that is, I will give you the full name. So CRISPR actually stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. I know, it's a tongue twister. But essentially, in short, it is a cheap, effective way to detect and destroy DNA that can be potentially harmful, or maybe even tweak DNA in order to allow organisms to be born without negative defects. And this can only be done in, obviously, organisms like us, fully developed, but it is in progress and has many implications for the future of, as medicine. And new gene editing technologies such as CRISPR-Cas systems and other ones such as, uh, I'll list a few, transcription activator-like effector nucleases, which targets the cell, and zinc finger nucleases, which also targets the cells, such as CRISPR, well, not on the DNA level, but in a very minute way um, through different methods. And all of these are being created to better the health of humanity and improve our welfare. But despite all of this progression, you know, forming GMOs to help us have better food and animals, forming CRISPR and new technology for more effective surgeries and progressions and even illnesses that we previously thought was uncurable, we need to draw a distinct line of what is acceptable. Recently, I saw this in a medical paper, a medical journal, um, this month actually, topics such as house surrogates which was recently proposed by Professor Anna Smagedor, in which her hypothetical proposal entails brain-dead, essentially unconscious women being impregnated without their consent or knowledge, or the increasing concern of genome editing or testing to eradicate certain features or artificially inseminating women from essentially deceased men is disgusting, unethical, and needs to be nipped in the bud. Our language, conducts, and ethics drive our society. And people like Smagedor and those who wish to use these technologies for unethical or corrupt purposes by their own ideals have zero regard for human life, simply viewing them as test subjects. Especially in 2022, surrogacy and organ donation has come to the forefront of the medical field and with recent events have become a popular topic. And these should not be treated like a mechanical experiment or routine investigation. 
In contrast to my research, which deals with animals and weight loss supplements post-eating, we are dealing with real live people and cannot afford to delve into practices such as this. For this reason, extreme genome editing and testing is actually illegal in most part of the world for the reason of preserving science's integrity and honor. Many training, classes, and careers are dedicated to ethics and shouldn't be ignored. No matter how minuscule the impact or information may be, or even whether it or not it's published, we as humans need to keep a mixture of compassion and empathy along with ambition for growth so that our world doesn't devolve into a situation similar to Brave New Worlds or The Handmaid's Tale, devoid or of consent or ethics. We need to view each other as people in addition to opportunities in order to better humanity. So I think we're making great progression and leaps towards solving these problems, but cautions and classes and overall compassion needs to be exhibited in order to propel all of us to the new future. Make sure you stay tuned for our next segment where we will be discussing these very ethics in debate and academic conversation. We want to hear your thoughts and we want to answer your questions. So email us at btsyateenradio at gmail.com. That's btsya teenradio at gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.bethestarur.org. You can get involved with the Be The Star You Are charity, buy books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestarur.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are. Dot org. Be the lucky star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. 
To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the star you are. 501c3 Charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself Teen Radio. My name is Hannah Zahoda. Rose, the other host that you can find in other podcasts, is actually sick today, so I will be filling in for her. She wonderfully provided information. Ethics is what guides us to tell the truth, keep our promises, or help someone in need. There is a framework of ethics underlying our lives on a daily basis, helping us make decisions that create positive impacts and steering us away from unjust outcomes. Our ethics are fueled by our individual cultures, backgrounds, and identities. Uh, In an article I recently read from Stanford, a Stanford professor details many reasons why taking ethics is a valuable course, as it encourages individuals' ability to engage in civil discourse and be responsible citizens, as Kirthi mentioned in debate. At the beginning of the article, it states that ethics, quote, teaches students to fruitfully and confidently engage in ethical dialogue. I think this is essential to why students should be taking ethics courses because it allows students more awareness of important and influential current events. By exposing students to such topics, it allows them to craft clear and educated opinions, makes them more responsible, and allows them to educate others in their community. Additionally, ethics courses are an important way of empowering students to make ethical and moral decisions. Through studying society's past decisions, students are able to analyze and learn what was a right or wrong decision. Furthermore, being able to engage with ethical problems builds lifelong thinking skills that are not taught nor developed in any other traditional history class. Lastly, such classes give students a safe place to talk and about disagreement that they have maybe shamed for in the outside world. It teaches students language and context to discuss topics they would have otherwise not have engaged or be comfortable with. Therefore, it is crucial for students to take ethics courses to expand their knowledge and overall understanding. As a student, Kirti, do you believe that ethical dialogue is viable in debate and mock trial and can be identified in creating more responsibility, especially since you are a younger student. I know it's clearly visible in high school students, but I don't know if it's the same case for you. I mean, like having ethics, ethics is a really important part of debate, as I'll talk more about in the third segment. Like, 
Ethics is probably what gives the judge the decision. Who are they going to vote for? Which side do they agree with the most? Basically, who's doing the best job? It relies a lot on ethics. So basically, the key to winning a debate is actually really ethics. Because unless, uh, well, I'm going to talk about impacts later in the debate. But even, like, you can, like, statistics are a really good way to debate. And sometimes the statistics can be just hard and hard and clear statistics. But sometimes you can use it to, I don't know, it sounds weird to say manipulate, but kind of frame your argument in a way to the judge that your argument is more ethically acceptable, like not acceptable, but it's more ethical, it's more moral, like, and that your opponent's argument is not as moral, like, especially when you're weighing impacts. Impacts are basically the deciding factor in debates. So Mm -hmm. when you're weighing impacts, like when you're deciding which impact is more important, like especially if they're two separate things, which is more important, a lot of times ethics comes into play, like especially if it has stuff about like lives, right? like lives prioritized over anything that's ethical. So that's definitely something that's always taken into consideration in debate. Yeah, and I find that you talk about a debate and, and mock trial, but I feel like that is a controlled environment in which you already have resources. Like I was arguing a assault and battery case, and I was trying my hardest to defend Frank's, which was the defendant's name. But I was more thinking in real world situations for students. Like when I was, you know, growing up, I'm in Northern California in a rural, predominantly white town. So my ethics were developed a little differently than yours may have been, depending on environmental factors and even classes, because I remember I was always taught by my family that, you know, you have to advocate for justice and equality and speak up. And so whenever I would talk about topics important to me, like feminism or how would I say like socioeconomic disparity or things that a lot of people with privilege didn't usually see. I was usually met with either distaste at the word because it was so stigmatized or those who were afraid to agree with me because they didn't feel safe in this environment. So ethics, I feel, especially with history, teaching them your history, teaching them you know, all of the stigmas of society and how we can improve and grow and learn do you think that will contribute to a student's character in real life situations? Because they will, especially like minorities and people of color, they will have to experience this from an early age. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I think like a person's surroundings or like basically the society around them is what completely decides what ethical decisions they're going to make, what they value more and what they value less. It's completely, it's completely based on how they're raised, who raises them, and in what environment they're raised in, what people tell them, like nature, nature versus nurture. In this, in this scenario, it's definitely nurture. Like, basically, like even what we as human beings think of, of right and wrong, 
That's only because everyone around us also thinks that this thing is right and this thing is wrong. Like, lives are more important than money. Like, if you said that money was more important than lives, that would be unethical, right? Mm -hmm. So, it's basically influenced by your surroundings. That's kind of what ethics is. It's kind of what everyone, every person in the world, or maybe in, in your community, um, not in the world, but in your community, what every person in, in your community thinks is right. Like that's like sometimes if someone does something wrong, like, and they think that it's right, but it, but someone else thinks that it's wrong, it's mostly because of the upbringing. Maybe the person who did the bad thing was taught that you should do bad things, who was taught that these bad things were right, were what was right, which is why they're doing the bad thing. It, well, in some cases, like they'll know that it's wrong, but they'll still do it. But that's another scenario. But uh, what I'm talking about is basically they are told and raised around people who have that same mindset. So so they think that what they're doing is good. They don't they don't think that what they're doing is bad. So that's that that kind of just shows you. Like imagine if an alien from another world came to Earth and just like blew up someone's house. Like maybe in the <laughs> alien world that they lived in maybe that was right maybe it was a custom for aliens to blow up each other's houses and like reincarnate i don't know like, right right life, basically like doesn't mean that that alien is doing something bad the alien thinks that they're doing something good maybe in the alien's world blowing up people's houses actually helps them but in this world it doesn't so but the alien thinks that what they're doing is right so it's it's got kind of an extreme example, but it is kind of showing how how much your upbringing and the community around you, the environment, how much that affects you and your ethical beliefs. Yeah, that's why I think human behavior is really so fast fascinating, because I find that individuals with this mindset, especially revolving around bigotry or maybe prejudice. As they grow older, especially like in school, a lot of their ideals seem to shift to a more accepting, tolerant, and open-minded sort of ideology because most of these beliefs were just what you were told, right? But with these ethics classes and these more um, ethics courses and teaching and educating individuals on both sides of the stories and all the perspectives and how it could potentially benefit or harm someone, we as humans develop the ability to reason. And reason is how we determine whether things are right or wrong. It doesn't matter about laws. We have a moral structure in which, you know, humans they have to back up their claims with facts. And I find that many people unwilling to do that are the ones with the most prejudice and bigotry, which I find is why in the school system, especially, it's very, very imperative to educate related to ethics and history, science, and all other topics, and even online. Uh, but unfortunately, this is the uh, all the time we have for this segment. Uh, make sure to visit our website at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com 
and be sure to make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestaryouare.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are dot org. Be the lucky star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are 501c3 charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestaryouare.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestaryouare.org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. Here we have Kirthi and her segment, Salutations from your local net extraordinaire. Of course, of course, I bet you missed me. I'm just so missable. You guys probably missed me so much, and I missed you too, I guess. But I think, no, I know that you guys missed me a whole lot. I'm just so awesome that one week without me is the most excruciating week of your life. I know, I know, I'm just way too awesome. So awesome that it's illegal. It's hard to believe that someone can be as awesome as me. I'm astronomically awesome, telescopically awesome. As you can tell, I'm incredibly humble and awesome. I'm humble, awesome, talented, wonderful, awesome. And did I mention that I'm awesome? I Did I? 
I don't think so. Just in case my internet glitched when I said that, I'll just say it again. If you know, I'm awesome. You know that, right? Right? I'll take that as a no. Allow me to reiterate because this is a very important thing. Make sure you take notes. I am awesome. Did everyone get that? Okay, what happened to my request for a live audience? Seriously, what happened to that? Once again, I request a live audience. A live audience would solve all of my problems. Anyway, assuming that everybody knows that I'm awesome, everyone knows, right? Let's move on. Welcome to Express Yourself's debate and fiction writing segment, Nerd Extraordinaire. Here are some updates on my career as an actress. The Dogs, the musical series, has been flourishing in Luxembourg's entertainment industry and has built a reputation for itself as a modern classic. I, British Cathy, am currently a household name in Luxembourg. It's because I'm so awesome. Did I mention that I'm awesome? I don't think so. Just so you know, I'm awesome. Anyway, let's go on to the real deal. Today's show is all about ethics in today's world, and I... Okay, that's enough, British Cathy. It's time for me to take over. Anyway, today's show is all about ethics in today's world. You know what? Let's play a game. It's called This or That. This is debate. That is fiction writing. Which one is it? This or that? Which one? It's this, guys. Debate. You know, I think that British Cuthie has a point about this whole live audience thing. Of course I have a point. I always have a point. I'm awesome, in case you didn't know. Go away, Kilfi. Wait, what? Who said that? I'm Kilfi. Why would you have to go away? I meant go away British Kilfi. So, debate, ethics, what's the relation? Traditionally and typically, debate relies on facts. Ooh, lots of adverbs there. Not just any facts, but statistics. Not just any statistics, but impacts. Now, I've touched impacts before, but I'm going to touch all over it again. Listen to me carefully when I say you cannot win a debate without damn impacts. It's, it's common sense. Without impacts, all of us debaters would be hiding in a hole crying because damn impacts. This probably seems a bit nonsensical and excessively melodramatic, but it'll all make sense soon. Impacts are the negative effects that you're preventing and the positive effects that your arguments are advocating for. Impacts are evidence cards. You can't claim that your argument will prevent a nuclear war because there's nothing to support it. There is no outside reliable source that says, if you do blah blah blah, nuclear war will happen, which makes your point invalid. Impacts are usually the crucial deciding factor in a debate tournament, because no matter how good your argument is, if you make more of a negative impact than the other side, the scenario would happen in the opponent's favor, which means that the judge will vote for the opponent, not for you, which is not good. No matter how valid your argument is, it has to have impacts. Specifically, impacts have to be quantitative evidence, which is just a fancy word for numbers. They have to have numbers. If it's just a statement that some people will die, that's not good. Chances are your opponent will have numbers as an impact, and you have to weigh the impacts, which basically means to see which impact is more impactful. Impactful impacts. Huh. You get it? You get it? Sigh. I'd say that British Kilfi was right, but I don't want to increase the volume of her head. 
You get it? Because because she has a big head. She she's elegant. She has a big head. So it's glowing. It's going bigger. You get it? I should really stop with these rhetorical questions because I do not have a live audience, very unfortunately. Anyway, when you can't weigh the impacts, the opponent automatically wins because they have more impacts. The most impactful impacts are lives impacts. Basically saying, if you don't vote for our side, people will die. More specifically, X number of people will die. Now, when both sides have quantitative lives impacts, you have to weigh them in order to determine which side saves more lives. If the opponent's lives impact is just a statement saying that if something happens, then, then just some people will die, then the impact is not valid because you can't weigh the impacts. Therefore, your impact is heavier, I guess. It's like you're weighing something and one is heavier than the other, which means that the judge will vote for you. If the other side has any other impact other than lives, then you win because lives impacts are prioritized over everything else. Here's where ethics come in. This is a battle over who saves the most lives. If one side had a money impact while the other side had a lives impact, and say that these numbers are relatively in a similar range, the lives impact would win because it's more eth ethical. Even if they weren't in the same range, the lives impact would still win. If it was like $5 million against like maybe a thousand people dying, the judge would vote for the person who's saying a thousand people dying. Because people, modern day ethics show that the judge would rather save lives than money. Because that's the moral, the ethical decision. You can use ethics to your advantage. It's unethical to save more money at the cost of lives, especially if one group of people is getting the money, so lives will win. No matter how your argumentation is, in the end, impacts matter. Even if you even if you bring up a valid point, and even if the argument is pretty good, if there's no impact at all with it, then you can't win because in the end, you the only way you can compare your argument to the opponent's arguments is through impact, like basically the effects of your argument. So modern, because of ethics, because of ethics, lives impacts are super powerful because no matter, because in the end, impacts are the most important thing in a debate. Of course, the argumentation that connects your argument to the impact is also really important. So maybe argumentation is important. So if, if, you, if your argumentation doesn't have a clear chain of logic, that means that there's no clear connection between your argument and the impacts, which means that your argument does not have X number of people dying anymore. So your impact would not be considered, which is, which is very bad. No matter what style of debate you debate in, traditional debate, debate relies on impacts. Spoiler debate doesn't really work like that, but that's another story for another day. Example time! Disclaimer before we start. Every statistic said in this example is false. Do not take it seriously. Say you were debating whether Ariana Grande should be president. And this is a very silly debate topic, so don't, don't expect to walk into a debate tournament and hear this as a resolution. One side could say that the impact is that there will be a lady president for the first time, and also the president could sing a lot better than most presidents do. The other side says that people who listen to Ariana are 10 times more likely to die on average than non-Arianators are 
Alienators? I don't know. Alien Ugandan fans called it Alienators? I don't know. Let's call them Alienators. The first side could argue that it's correlation, not causation. So basically, it's this whole thing about your chain of logic not making sense. Just because Alienators, on average, are more likely to die, doesn't mean that every single one is more likely to die, and it also doesn't mean that they die because they like Ariana Grande. Averages don't tell the whole, whole story, and when you just have correlation and not causation, that means that your argument is not valid, because you're talking about Ariana Grande, people who like Ariana Grande, because they like Ariana Grande, they die. That's what you're claiming, but that's not what your impact is saying. Therefore, you don't have a clear chain of logic. Therefore, your whole thing about alienators being 10 times likely to die, it, it's not valid anymore. So you don't have an impact anymore. That means that the Ariana Grande fans will win and Ariana Grande will become president. In your face, Ariana haters. Okay, Ariana Grande for president? Okay, no, I like Eliana Grande, but I do not think that she should be a president. That's not very wise. Anyway, use your ethical impact superpowers to change the world with your newfound awesome debate, ethic, something, impact, whatever you want to call it. Your newfound debate, awesome debate skills. <laughs> wow, that was so great. The day I see Ariana Grande become president is the day you become right. <laughs> so I, you're on the debate scene. So I'm wondering, what should you tell a debater with these impacts that you mentioned with their argumentation? Never be debate to speak up. Get it? Debate? Afraid? Okay, it's not that good. <laughs> I know. Okay, let me go on to the real answer. So, so a debater with impacts is a very strong debater because as I said before, your argument is absolutely nothing without impacts unless you can prove some sort of impact, let alone a lives impact. Okay, so maybe if you're arguing about Ariana Grande being president or not, you're not going to really find a lives impact. For, for people who like Ariana Grande. Obviously, my statistic was false. Alienators are not more likely to die on average than non-alienators. Well, maybe that's true, but I don't know. But even then, if you can't find a lives impact, any impact is pretty good. It's just that you're in trouble when the opposing side has a lives impact. So, so this is this is actually a way to overcome this whole ethical thing. Because of ethics, if the other side has a lives impact and you don't have a lives impact, you have an impact that's not a lives impact, or maybe you don't even have an impact at all. So you're supposed so because of ethics, the judge is going to obviously choose the opponent. So there is actually a way you can kind of squirm yourself out of this very, very unfortunate scenario. So, first of all, you can find your own life's impact, but that's the more unlikely scenario. So, so basically, what you're supposed to do is start taking offense on the opponent's argument. You have to show that their argument is false, that your argument is better than their argument. So, if you show that, then that means that their impacts aren't valid. The key thing, like I said before, it's finding, find, it's trying to find like the logic 
chain. If it doesn't ma really make sense, even if it does make sense, you should find some way to twist it around and say that, say that it doesn't make sense. Like one really common way is that even if the argument is super duper good and the chain of logic is super duper clear and you absolutely don't know what to do, you know what you should do? You should start nitpicking and harping on how uncredible the evidence is. Obviously, the lives impact is going to be from some source of evidence. So either you could say that their evidence is outdated. You could say like, oh, that's ancient history. How can, especially if you're arguing about something about the economy or like laws or something like that, if you say that like their evidence is outdated, that's actually really strong because the economy, the world in general, it's it's a different place than how it was maybe like 10 years ago in 2013. It's going to be a different world. So you could argue that or even if they have new evidence, you could you could go into the sources. You could say that just because this random person who who doesn't know anything about what we're debating about, just because someone has an opinion and you're quoting that someone on the opinion, doesn't mean that that's correct. So basically, you can you can dig into the credibility of the sources and say that the source is not credible. The the lives impact should not be considered because. Who knows what if the, if what this person saying is true? Who who knows where the research is from? Who knows if they even did any research? Or like you, if it's not a credible credible source, which is saying that, for example, alienators are ten times more likely to die on average than non-alienators, then you could say that the source is not credible. And well, the problem with this is that you actually have to have credible sources yourself or else they can just pull an Una reverse card on you and say, hey, you, your evidence is not credible and your evidence is also ancient history. So yeah, there's always another side. There's all, and that's the beauty of debate. Like even if you come up with a really good argument, there's always gonna be some way to refute it. There's always gonna be some way to refute that rebuttal like refute that refutation and refute that refutation of the refutation it's kind of confusing but yeah there's always a there's always a rebuttal to every argument in debate you can always find some way to say that your argument is invalid your impacts cannot be weighed you are not correct i am correct so basically that's the beauty of debate but even even if you have responses to these really good arguments, you know, it's maybe it's really hard to come up with your responses. So so coming up with an argument that's really hard to respond to, that's that's a really significant thing in debate. Right. Wow, that was really, really, really interesting. I feel like inductive and deductive reasoning plays a role in debate, which you can also see in court. You know, I had a mock trial competition yesterday and I utilized this same method. And unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. And as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. 
find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Make sure to evaluate ethics. Compassion and empathy are always important in our day-to-day lives. And remember, speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine. Between the lines If you would let yourself